Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has a goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 84 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we explore the idea of taking ownership of your influence through action. Every single one of us, no matter our reach, has an influence within our community. So how can we as individuals harness our power and influence to take ownership of our lives and how we spend our time? To explain how she did this in her own life and how she helps countless other people do the same thing today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Sensi Graves. Sensi is a professional kiteboarder, confidence expert, and women's empowerment speaker. She's also the founder of a sustainable swimwear line, Sensi Graves Swim. She helps people feel like they're doing enough now by sharing the story of becoming a pro kiteboarder and starting a business before she believed that she could. When not traveling for photo shoots or speaking gigs, Sensi runs women's kiteboarding retreats and camps and mentors women on confidence and business. Her mission is to help people that look successful on the outside feel successful on the inside. Adventuring plans on your calendar? Remember to grab your Lava Linens travel towel on your way out the door. Founded by a mother-daughter team, Lava Linens crafts durable, luxurious travel towels as a more sustainable and better performing alternative to microfiber and cotton towels. Powered by flax and hemp, they're designed to be by your side for years to come. Use the code OUTDOORMINIMALIST for 15% off your next order. So thanks for joining me today on the Outdoor Minimalist podcast. I have been looking forward to chatting with you and I'm excited to learn more about your life in general. So to start, I would like to know more about your background and how you got into outdoor recreation and how it currently fits into your life. Mm, I'm thankful and grateful that I got to grow up 20 minutes out of dirt road in a really tiny town in Northern California. We had 350 people in our town. So I grew up on 80 acres in the middle of the woods and have always had this connection to the outdoors. I grew up with three brothers and we were always outside growing up and snowboarding, wakeboarding, hiking, biking, got to really experience the outdoors without really knowing anything else, other ways to grow up. And today it's not only what I'm most passionate about being outside and being connected to nature, but what I've built my career through as well. Yeah. Would you mind talking about your career as a professional kiteboarder, right? Is that Okay. Yes. I'm a <laughs> multifaceted so cool. <laughs> entrepreneur. I'm a professional kiteboarder, founder of a sustainable swimwear line, inspirational speaker and mentor. And then I also put on women's kite camps and retreats. Wow. That's a lot, a lot of different hats to wear, but it all works together and it makes a lot of sense. And so how did you kind of get to the point that you are at today? Did you, when you were a kid, did you kiteboard a lot? And you're like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do with my life. How did it all happen? It was the complete opposite. <laughs> I didn't even know what kiteboarding was until I was 18 years old. When I first touched a kite, 
I'd never even heard of the sport. I grew up wakeboarding. I've always been super sports minded and really athletic. As I mentioned, I have three brothers. We'd always play two on two basketball and we're really competitive with one another, but I didn't touch a kite until I was in college when my dad brought my three brothers and I out to North Carolina to learn. Once again, I was like, what are we going to do? I've never even heard of this, but completely fell in love with it. Kept in touch with the school that we learned at a place called Real Water Sports on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, which is this gorgeous island chain that juts out into the Atlantic Ocean on the East Coast. And two years later, even though I was barely staying upwind, which is kind of the holy grail in kiteboarding, meaning you can get back to where you launch from. It's like, just as you come out of the beginner stages, Real was advertising summer jobs as kite coaches. And I was like, uh, that sounds amazing. I was a junior in college at that time, signed up to coach kiting, moved out there with my older brother for the summer of what was that 2009 and started coaching. And then from there it was eat, sleep, dream kiting. And I was in the water every single day. And from that point onward, it was this launching pad for starting to even think about creating a swimmer company and starting to think about competing. But it wasn't until a few years later that I even had the smallest amount of confidence to do either of those things. So it was a slow build and I never could have predicted that kiteboarding would completely change my life. Yeah, that is really interesting. It seems like a little bit like fate kind of just like brought you into those places and you were exposed to all of the right things. And it just kind of like it finally aligned and it really fits in with some of your values and just the general mindset that you seem to take on for life. And so I do want to talk a little bit about that and how maybe before you started the sport of kiteboarding and started the swimmer line and all that stuff, how your mindset has kind of changed over the last few years. I shouldn't say a few years. I don't know how long you have been doing it (laughs) to allow you to kind of like embrace all those things and really become more aligned with your values. Yes. I love this. I started my swimmer line when I was 23. And that was before I pursued a professional kite career and my mindset for, I would say the first six, seven years of building both of my careers was completely self-doubt. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I didn't have the confidence to really put myself out there. I didn't even want to start competing in kiting because I was like, I'm not good enough. But it was this amalgamation of being in the right place at the right time and having access to the types of competitions that I did, which is park riding, which is like we have sliders and features in the water, similar to what you would have snowboarding. We have them floating in the water. North Carolina was one of the birthplaces of park riding in kiting. And so I was just, yeah, I was at the right place at the right time, but I felt like I couldn't do it. And that was the same thing in my swimmer company. I didn't have the confidence that it really required to learn to feel successful, learn to feel stoked with who I was and what I was doing. And even though, you know, a few years into it, when I was running my swimmer company, traveling around the world, competing, living this shiny life, I didn't feel like the badass that everyone said I was. I didn't feel, you know, confident, amazing, all stoked with what I was doing. And so to answer the question is my mindset super evolved into, oh, I'm never going to feel like enough unless I feel like enough now. And also I'm the only one that can be proud of myself. And I haven't let myself be proud of myself, even though I've done all of these amazing things, which I believe so many humans have. We all have these amazing life stories. Each of us has unique individual experience but we don't embrace that and say, oh, I'm doing enough, which holds us back in a lot of ways. 
Yeah. So how do you think you got to that point of that? It seems like a higher level of maybe like self-acceptance or something like that. So I would assume, at least from my personal experience, it's kind of like a gradual process, but were there any like specific things that really kind of helped you move towards that self-confidence? Yes. Great question. It very much was a gradual process for sure, because it's always uncovering, right? Uncovering the layers of what it means to be a human and accepting yourself and learning about yourself. And I don't think we ever get to a point where we're healed. Life is this journey of self-acceptance and healing and all the things. I remember one specific moment that really helped cement this idea of, oh, I'm doing enough. I'm doing a great job. And it was actually at the end of 2019, because we had a new decade coming, 2020, I was doing all this self-work. I've always believed in mentorship and coaching and introspective work, but I was working with a coach and she had me do a 10-year review, a decade in review, because we're coming up on this new decade. So at the end of 2019, I laid out everything from my social media to my journals and was diving through everything around. What did I accomplish in the last 10 years? What did I do? Where did I travel? All of the things. And I was part of this accountability group. And I remember we got together and we were sitting in this room full of women and the mentor, the leader of the group asked us to look at everything and look at the past 10 years. And I just remember having everything spread out in front of me and looking at all this and just feeling honestly a stab in the heart, like a complete visceral, almost sigh. And wow, I realized in that moment of looking at the last 10 years that I hadn't let myself feel proud of myself. And it felt super emotional. I, w- I, I burst out crying. I went outside for like 20 minutes and bawled because I was looking at everything I had done. And I was like, wow, I am really proud of myself, but I haven't let myself feel that way. And it was such a stab in the heart because I felt so sorry for my poor little younger self that was just trying so hard, you know, putting herself out there so much and working so hard. And looking for approval outside herself when all the time I could have been like, oh, you're doing a great job. I'm proud of you. You're the only one that can be proud of you. And so that was one of the big revelations for me was like, okay, wow. If I just take a moment and look at everything I've done, I've done a lot. And if I take a moment and acknowledge myself for that, oh, wow. So that was a huge uncovering for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that exercise, by the way, that is really like a cool way to reflect on things, especially like a bigger picture, because I think a lot of times we do that maybe in year reviews, but the 10 years, a lot can change in 10 years. And so I could see how that would be like a really pinnacle moment in how you see yourself. And now I kind of want to do that. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And it feels a little bit intimidating because it takes time. You know, Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, I have to go through a lot of stuff. you, You do a lot in 10 years, but that's exactly the point. When you actually allow yourself to dive into it, that's when you can recognize, oh, (laughs) I've done a lot of stuff. Okay. I'm doing a great job. And in that 10 years, I know that that was when the swimwear company kind of started up. And so I am also wondering how that kind of aligns with your larger values and like worldview and why exactly you decided to start the swimwear company. Mm. Initially, it was because I couldn't find anything that worked. (laughs) (laughs) I was in the water every single day. I was coaching kiting and my bikini was my uniform. I was wearing it under my board shorts and my rash guard top. And not only was I wearing it to work, but I was wearing it to play surfing and kiting myself. And I just remember the swimmer on the market at that time, it was either one of two camps, one being really functional, sporty swimsuits, like speedo frumpy, not designed very well, or 
bikinis that were made to just look good in and were like flirty, but didn't stay put at all. Very much string bikinis. And not only was there not anything on the market that was really beautiful and also functional, but there wasn't anything that really supported women in water sports and showed this woman actually doing things rather than just lying on the beach. And so I really wanted to start something that elevated women in water sports, empowered women in water sports, was a product that was made better, did better. And that also told the story of possibility and that you can do it. And so sharing this message of all you have to do is try, put yourself out there and try, and you can do all these fun things that other people are doing. And that was the story that I really wanted to tell. Yeah. And it seems like maybe it evolved over time because I know now just looking at your swimmer line and stuff like that and speaking with you before that you do have a pretty big focus on sustainability and how the swimwear is actually produced and made. So could you speak a little bit on how that kind of integrated into the swimwear line? Yes. Initially, I didn't want to start a swimwear line and I almost didn't because I didn't want to make more stuff. And uh, there were, you know, tons, even at that time, there were tons of swimwear companies already on the market. And I was like, I don't want to just make more product. We don't need more product. And then I read Yvonne Chouinard's Let My People Go Surfing. And I've always been a huge fan of Patagonia. Obviously, they're a leader in the space. And I thought, look at the impact that they've been able to have. If we can do the same thing, if we can be a brand that other brands look up to, if we can impact consumer behavior, if we can create more conscious consumers, then that's something we should do. But it, you're right in that it took me a while to actually put that into play because when I first launched, you know, we were so tiny, we're still a very small brand. There were no sustainable fabrics on the market at that time. And we couldn't get any, you know, we barely could get like recycled hang tags and all that. I knew that I wanted to get to this goal of being as eco-friendly as possible, but it took a few years. And so in the beginning, it was really like, okay, this is the, the standard that we're trying to get to. It's progress over perfection. I want to be a change maker in this space. What's the more long-term plan to get there? And so I, I really believe in just getting started rather than it has to be perfect right away. But yeah, sustainability was and continues to be at the forefront of everything we do. Yeah, I really like that you said that it doesn't have to be perfect, but you kind of have like a direction forward. And it, you can change things along the way. Because I think as an individual that I mean, my whole life kind of revolves around the environmental movement in the outdoor industry. And mm -hmm. I know that a lot of different people that I talk to, it's easy to get really overwhelmed or defeated as an individual, like your actions don't really make that much of a difference. So why should you even try? And so from your experiences, how do you think people can reframe the idea that individuals don't make a difference? Mm. There's a really wonderful quote by Paulo Coelho that says the world is changed by your example, not by your opinion. And so I believe that even though it can feel difficult and weighty and overwhelming, when you look at the big picture, it is really only through individual action and leading by example that you can influence other people and those around you. Yes, we need big policy changes. And yes, we need to come from a top-down approach. But when you think about there's a great little anecdote or parable that is, I set out to change the world. And when I found I couldn't do that, I set out to change my country, but I couldn't do that. I set out to change my city. And when I found I couldn't do that, I set out to change my community. When I found I couldn't do that, I set out to change 
my household. And when I found I couldn't do that, I set out to change myself. And when I changed myself, I influenced my household, my community, my city, my country, and the world. And so I think sometimes we get too overwhelmed and we don't realize how impactful each of us truly is and how those small actions reverberate out into those around us. You know, if you think about walking down the street, you walk down the street and someone is coming at you and they have a massive smile on their face, you are probably going to smile, right? You're like, oh, ha, look at that. Like their energy is radiating out towards you. And they didn't even have necessarily that intention. They're just living their lives, being happy, leading by example. And so when we tap back into, oh, my energy actually matters. I'm influential no matter where I go. You raise the bar for your responsibility as a human, because you're like, I'm impactful, let's go. And also that's the only way that you can make impact. And so that's what I would say to people and that reminder of take ownership of your impact as a human, just in the energy that you bring into the room and the everyday actions that you participate in, because those are exemplary. They can be exemplary for other people and you, whether or not you have the attention are leading by example. Absolutely. It really reminds me of something that my therapist always says. And (laughs) she always reminds me like, just focus on what you can control because you can only really control yourself and your own actions. Like everyone else around you is always going to be doing a lot of times things in their best interest. So just focus on what you can control. And I think that really aligns with your message. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) It's good. That's exactly it. We can only control what we can control. And that's kind of the argument for the victim mindset, right? Where if everything's happening to us and we don't take ownership of what we can control, then we will feel unimpactful and we will feel unvalued and we will feel unworthy. And it's when I believe we take ownership of we are valuable just as we are that we can influence the world. And I believe change the world. I probably believe that too, most (laughs) of the time. (laughs) Okay. So I think When I'm thinking of the outdoor industry and kind of the environmental movement in general and kind of how everyone has a role to play, we do focus a lot on brands. And since you are an individual and also an individual that has a brand, how much responsibility do you think brands need to take in order to lead the way for individuals? Because I think there's kind of a delicate balance going on. Yes, I would agree with that. I believe that brands really need to step it up. You know, you can think about brands also as individuals, right? We treat corporations as entities, as individual entities. And I think that the more responsibility that each of us is taking, whether that is as an entity or as an individual, the better off we're going to be. And brands, I believe, have a responsibility to not only stand firmly in their values, but be forward thinking in the amount of impact and influence that they have, because definitely brands typically have larger followings than individuals. They're participating in the economic marketplace and they need to be aware of their individual impact as a cohesive unit, right? It's so, I get fired up because how can you not be stepping up and be thinking about the seven generations, you know, the Iroquois um, way of thinking, which is all of your impact and decisions impact. How do they impact the next seven generations? So if you're not forward thinking in how your actions as a company are affecting the planet and individuals, 
then what are you doing? I mean, it's just, it's not taking ownership. And that's at such a greater level that I really feel passionately that it's really just taking stock and allowing yourself to have feedback and being open and transparent. You know, we're not going for perfection. We're going for progress and saying, Hey, this is where we're at. It's such a freeing concept for brands and saying, this is maybe you're not sustainable at all. That's okay. But asking and being open to where you can improve slowly over time that's better than just completely ignoring it and not even having it in your ethos whatsoever. You, you're kind of giving a lot of examples already, which I really appreciate. Thank you. I am just kind of curious about when you're talking about taking ownership of your actions and things, whether you're a brand or an individual, okay. Other than kind of having more of that forward thinking, or even the thinking that is like my actions influence others. What are some things that people can do maybe even their day-to-day, but just in the larger scheme of their life that really would help them carry out the things that they, I can't think of how to phrase this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, like grasping kind yeah, of. Yeah. Making it actually is tangible, right? Yes, you know, there's there you a mindset That's piece. The and then like, what's the actual tangible takeaway that people can do? Cause you know, we are a doing nation. We want to do things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so there is the ownership piece. And then there's the the tangible piece. So I would say two things come to mind. One for brands is looking at your carbon footprint. There's a great nonprofit called Climate Neutral that you can measure your carbon footprint and you can pay to offset it. Great start. Evaluate the impact that you're having as far as your carbon goes and then take steps to mitigate that. As an individual, I think the really important thing is being a conscious consumer looking at the product you're number one is consuming less. You know, it's kind of ironic as a fashion brand where you're trying to get people to buy stuff (laughs) to say consume less, but I really believe in not buying what you don't need. And it's very difficult once again, in our economic landscape, how things work, which is buy this, we're being marketed to and advertised to all the time. Having a little bit of discernment and practicing a little bit of self-control around, okay, do I actually need this thing? If not, don't buy it. Number one, reduce the amount of input. I mean, we hear that all the time, but are you putting that into practice? You know, I get sucked up in that and I'll tell a quick little story. I don't know if you've heard of the brand Sheen. Terrible, terrible. Okay, but here's the story. I saw a friend out recently that was wearing this really cute little two-piece outfit. I'd never heard of Sheen before. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. What is that brand? She said, Sheen. I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to go check it out. I went and Googled it later. Immediately was like, oh, wow. Look how cheap this stuff is. Okay, this can't be good. Got totally sucked down an internet rabbit hole. 20 minutes later, was on the still on their website. Found myself with items in my cart on this website, Sheen. Items in my cart and was like, what am I doing? Stop. I am someone that <laughs> prides myself on being a conscious consumer and also... I'm a owner of a fashion brand. I know the impact that fast fashion has. It's terrible. It's number three wastewater polluter in the world. It's a huge consumer of clean water and has one of the biggest environmental pollutant uh, records out there. And so I know the impact that that has, but I even found myself like about to check out on this ridiculous fast fashion website. So all that to say, just be mindful and take a second and look at If you are going to purchase something, where is it made? 
What is it made from? Do a little bit of digging on the company's website to find out what their values and ethos are. There's a lot of brands out there that are kind of just almost like sham brands. It's like a website and then you directly imported from China. Take the time to evaluate what those are and where you are putting your money because that absolutely makes a big impact. <sighs> I think that's too big, too big, but I can keep going, but <laughs> no, that's the, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely, I've fallen into traps like that before where you're just, you're starting to like online shop and then you're like, wait a minute, why am I doing this? And I think with outdoor minimalists, there's like the seven R's of outdoor minimalism. And one of the really important ones to me, at least is rethink. And that's exactly what I think I needed to be doing for a lot of my life, but also helps with conscious consumerism where you ask yourself like several questions, specifically with fashion. I think one question that another creator has posed to me before is like, how many times in the next three months will I wear this? Like just asking yourself like really targeted questions about like how useful is this item to me or is it just like catching my interest right now? I love that. I love that. Yeah. We need tools in place to kind of stop this habitual consumption. And that's super great. I, I'm going to write that question down. <laughs> yeah, I wish I can remember the per like the creator, but if I think of it, I'll tell you. Yeah. I think it is hard in American culture specifically because of, it's just a consumer culture, capitalism, and that's the way we were raised. And so we're kind of challenging a lot of mindsets that are not necessarily like natural to our culture, <laughs> which I think makes it a little bit more challenging. It makes you feel like you're maybe on the, like the fringes of society sometimes. And that's why I really like that you have a really large focus on mindset and like kind of refocusing on yourself and your individual impact. And I think for me as a creator in the environmental space, it sometimes can be like difficult to like put yourself out there or really even with your Sheen story, like really like open up and accept that like we're human and we make mistakes and like it's important to share those real human experiences. And also that I don't always feel qualified to speak on the topics that I'm speaking about. And I guess that would be called imposter syndrome. And so I am just wondering about like where you begin to really kind of like harness that power of influence that you do have, no matter how big or how small that may be, and how we can overcome those mindset obstacles so we can really take ownership like you've been explaining through this whole conversation. I love this question. It's so important. Imposter syndrome is something that affects 70% of humans in the US. So I definitely think that it is something to look at, try and hold a little bit more loosely. As we talked about, your example is really influential to those people around you. And, you know, I told that story about walking down the street, but it took me a little while to realize that I was impactful. And it actually wasn't until I did this challenge. And a number of years ago, I did this gallon water a day challenge where I had a gallon jug of water that I was carrying around because I was trying to drink a gallon of water a day. And it's this really conspicuous thing, right? Like you have a gallon jug. And because it's conspicuous, people will come up to me and they'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I'm drinking a gallon of water a day. And I would get to explain the benefits of doing that and why I was doing that. And I could see light bulbs start to go off in their eyes. And then thinking, oh, maybe I should do that as well. Oh, interesting. Okay, now I'm kind of inspired. And it was in that practice, that example that I realized, I was like, oh, I'm inspirational. <laughs> you know, honestly, I hadn't even thought about it before then. 
I'm inspirational. So back to the point is like we're each inspirational in just our everyday lives. But I think speaking more to imposter syndrome, I like to teach that we're all climbing this ladder of life. We're climbing, climbing, climbing. There's always going to be people above us and there's always going to be people below us on the ladder. There's always going to be people more successful than you, that are making more money than you, that are better looking than you, that own a nicer car than you, whatever, all the things. It's our job where we are on the ladder to accept a hand from people above us and say, thank you for your mentorship. Thank you for leading the way. Thank you for helping me and inspiring me. But equally importantly, it's our job to extend a hand to those below us and say, let me help you. Let me show you what I've done. Let me guide you and mentor you. And there are always going to be people below us and there's always going to be people above us. And so it's really saying, oh, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be on this ladder. We're all climbing this ladder of life and I can impact because there are people below me. And so it's just that little bit of reframe of like, okay, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. The level's always going to keep expanding. My goals are always going to keep expanding. If I don't take ownership of where I am and accept where I am, then I can't be impactful to those below me because I'm going to feel like I'm not enough. I'm going to feel like I'm an imposter. So it's really just changing that thought process to, okay, what's triggering me? Noticing the triggers that are bringing up imposter syndrome. If it's scrolling at Instagram, turn it off. You know, stop looking at the things that are making you feel less than. Do an audit of what you are consuming as far as media and, you know, everything in your everyday life. Let's just say if you're getting a, a fashion magazine in the mail and looking at that is making you feel like, oh, I don't have the body that I want to have, throw that thing away. Eliminate the things that are making you feel negative. But more importantly, think about how can I impact and help those below me? Because that will help you feel like, oh, okay, I'm valuable where I am. I have a unique story to tell. Each of our experiences is unique. Every single human on this planet has something to teach someone else. If you really think about it, right? Like everybody's story is unique. And I don't care if you're Tony Robbins or someone living on the street, you have something to teach the world. And so when we can kind of get outside ourselves a little bit and go into service, that helps that as well, because we're like, okay, the work I'm doing is impactful and amazing. You know, the work you're doing with this podcast is impactful and amazing. And when we say, ah, my purpose is to inspire those through the media that I put out into the world. And I'm passionate about this. It helps us kind of eliminate that. Oh, I'm not doing enough because we realize that what we're doing is serving. And so going back to service as well can be really helpful for owning our impact. Yeah, I really like the latter example. It was a really great visualization of like how just life changes and your impact can change, but it's always also like consistent over time. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It was a perfect visualization. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Everyone loved that. <laughs> I, remember it's a good I, one. I like that I say that all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And it feels like your response to that question feels like very full circle to kind of just like a life journey and kind of how much our mindset and just like reframing a couple of different things can have such a big influence in how we behave. And so sometimes that introspection and reflection can be hard or difficult, but I found it be like very, I keep saying impactful, but I'm trying to think of different words, influential. I don't know. 
You get what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny, you know, Socrates said an unexamined life is not worth living. And you might not have to go to that extreme of an unexamined life is not worth living, but I think self-inquiry and introspection is so huge for just uncovering our strengths, our values, how we want to show up in the world, but also where are the thought patterns that are holding us back and in what ways can we hold things a little bit more loosely so that we can operate with more compassion and joy and create more impact and community in the world. Absolutely. I feel like I could probably talk to you forever. You have so many things to share and you're so inspiring, but to wrap things up, how can listeners learn more about you and also maybe check out your swimwear line? Sensegraveswim.com. We are at (laughs) Sensi Graves on Instagram and or that's my personal Instagram, Sensi Graves and Sensi Swim, S-E-N-S-I Swim on Instagram as well. And then sensigraves.com and sensigraveswim.com. Oh, and then the kite camps are strutkiteboarding.com. Do those have a specific location or do you do them kind of all over the place? All over. We do them all over the world. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Cool. I'll be sure to share the links to all of that in the show notes. So if people want to look at that, they can check it out later. But with that, thank you so much for coming onto the show. And yeah, I feel rejuvenated after our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book or subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com. For even more updates, educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with a shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.